Hello. Welcome to this episode of the Fan Men Podcast. I'm DJ Gove. Chris Davis. Sean Hogarty. In a virtual life presence device. Yes, I am remote. We have the disembodied voice of Sean. The Sean pad. He's like a future Emma head. I am remote, just like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> we have a black screen just sitting where you should be, Sean. <laughs> Sorry, Jen. I love you. It was just too easy a joke. <laughs> you see like a frying pan get whipped at him over on the screen. He may not make it through this episode. <laughs> she can't hear me. She's upstairs. So, Sean, why don't you tell the people why you're not here? So I'm not here because of the wonder of uh, seventh grade school musicals. My mm. daughter was uh, in one. So I get to watch her uh, act and sing inaudibly in the background. Nice. And what part was, was she awesome. playing? Uh, she was one of Ursula's tentacles. And occasionally carried a fish on a stick around. Uh, you can. Uh, she's got a future at Disney World. There you I mean, go. that's essentially what they do with that live action uh, Little Mermaid yes. show. There'll be a uh, a charity link list to blow for Sean's GoFundMe. <laughs> no, I that sounds like the charity. worst like food truck experience. Fish on a stick. <laughs> fish on a stick. That sounds Especially awful. For me. Oh God, yeah. I wouldn't touch it. Oh God. Mm. Well, not a very busy week. Um, little bit of news that means something to me, but probably not the two of you guys. Is the Sony PlayStation game The Last of Us? Um, possibly yes. my favorite story in a video game ever um, is headed to HBO for a series. Thank really? God. Kind of yeah. Cool. Sounds like they're going to fill in. Um, it's going to start off the end of the game and then fill in the time between the first and second game, which is about five years. Uh, so for those of us that haven't played the game, do you anticipate that they will recap or that they will make it unimportant or what i think they'll lay the framework with probably like some text or something then they'll do flashbacks to certain things um but you can actually catch up with all the story there's a like a movie on youtube if you really want to get nuts you cannot play the game watch the youtube movie with all the cutscenes and be caught up yeah but the story's awesome like i think I, you guys have the i grabbed you guys copies of the you game do. i they think they released it what last year say so like a year and a half uh, yeah, yeah for the yeah. playstation but for the four but the second one's coming out in may so this was like prime news I wish they had dropped it at PAX, but Sony didn't go to PAX because they were scared of the flu. Your lucky PAX took place. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> lucky is a strong word. Yeah. You, uh, well, it was telling. And it's a comment from you when you were at PAX, um, commenting on the unwashed masses and the <laughs> um, per capita body odor <laughs> that yes, was yes. there, which is probably driving a lot of the fear yeah. with these other conventions. That's true. There was a lot of sweat. There was a lot of fleece in that place. There was a lot of sweatpants. <laughs> wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but still. So we had that, and then we had um, the first images came out of Robert Pattinson's Batmobile. Oh, so pretty. Or <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it. It was John Wick's car. I stand by that. Um, for the first time, you have a Batmobile that looks like somebody could have actually made it without needing a billion dollar R and D budget. Yes. It does look mean, like it. It looks like it belongs on uh, Mad Max Fury Road. 2. A little bit, you know where? Now I'm going to completely be dating myself. Um, this may be a little before DJ's time, but maybe not. You kind of grew up with the TV as your mm-hmm. babysitter. Yep. When they started to do the TV movies for the Knight Rider reboots, mm-hmm. they'd have these little one-offs. 
And then they started to get a little younger and edgier. And it's like Michael in East LA when you had a whole Puerto Rican chop shop putting together my, when they really <laughs> literally rebuilt kit <laughs> into something like that. It yeah. kind of reminded me of that. We have body armor now with the red lights in the back, the whole thing. I'm like, huh, that would be kit if, you know, yeah, a chop shop in East LA put this together for them. <laughs> Sean, what do you think of the Batmobile? Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm usually pretty open to, to anything. Um, the picture, the images that they've shown don't give me as much as I would like to actually make a judgment call, but I don't, I, I definitely don't dislike fundamentally just the, the, it, it looks realistic. It looks functional. It doesn't look like something that is, Ooh, I need to make a Batmobile, right? It looks like, you know, a dark, powerful vehicle for somebody who wants to be able to get around fast and tough in the dark. It looks like somebody, I like it. Yeah. Somebody that's taking their first steps into being a vigilante that doesn't have all the toys at his disposal. What I like, I don't know if it's just my eyes playing tricks on me or if I might just be making it up because I'm a crazy person. The shot of the back of it with the way the fins came up and where the afterwards are, Looks like the old like nineteen forties Batmobile with the the bat head on the front of it. Kind of has that yeah. look from the back, which I thought was kind of cool. It kind of gives you the engine, yep. gives you that. Yeah, and then the because the suit kind of has like that thirties look too with the higher ears and stuff like that. So it's yeah. like a mix between like the the original, like the first run Batman, and like the Arkham stuff kind of. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I definitely. It doesn't it, it doesn't take away anything from my interest level in the movie. It doesn't necessarily add to it, but. You know, I'm I'm definitely going in relatively neutral. Like I'm, you know, I'm not getting my hopes up, and I'm not assuming it's going to suck just because I'm not a huge Rob Pattinson guy. But uh, but the ingredients are there for something that I think I could really like. Sean is the Switzerland of movie viewers <laughs> for the ones that he actually ends up seeing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's true. I, I'm fairly confident you'll see this one pretty close to opening weekend Yeah, with the interest level you have in the subject matter. Yeah, no, we're going to make yeah. him go see it oh, opening yeah. weekend. Yeah, we'll drag you kicking and screaming. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll get to go see it before it even comes out because we just we got um, we were able to get um, media screenings for the new Bloodshot movie if we still want to go this week, if that's a thing. So and, and with a bonus exposure to coronavirus, we could end up with our eyes bloodshot in the experience. There we go. That's going to happen from having to watch Vin Diesel act. That's true. Or attempt to act. Come on. He's he's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Crickets. Uh, Crickets. Thank God he'll never hear this. So yeah. last, last little bit of news is more. <laughs> thing Dom with hearing, hearing uh, healing powers. Like he yes, yes, talk. yes. So aggravated. Dom Vereen. There you um, go. So. Uh, this is probably more for you guys because you guys are the number nuts. Ooh, um, there's an article that came out about um, a common topic here on the Feminine Podcast, Kevin. <laughs> um, yeah. The per theater average record that Reboot hit. One of only three movies to have four weekends or more averaging $60,000 or more per screen. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's in rarefied air when you're starting to put Reboot in the conversation with Star Wars A New Hope. Is that interesting? And then Blair Witch was the third, which doesn't... People forget exactly how big that first Blair Witch 
Project movie was. It, I remember seeing it, it when it came. It was massive. Massive. There was a, that was back when you couldn't buy tickets online. So I remember going to see the in, in high school at the theater, and we got in. There's people down the block that couldn't get in to see the thing. They were adding shows. That was one of your first true big viral marketing campaigns. I mean, that was word of mouth just taking off. Yeah, that movie was terrifying. What year? 98, 97, somewhere there? Infancy of the interwebs? I think was it was 98. It, I, I remember going to see that in, it was Kendall Square. There's a, there's kind of a high-end art house film there now, hmm. um, or art house cinema there. I can't remember what it's called, um, but- that I think that place had just opened and that was, you know, that was a film in there that I'd heard about. And, you know, it, it was fun to, to see it when it was all buzz and not much press. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I did see, I saw that ad on reboot and also the impractical jokers movie. Actually, that's something since we last got together. Um, I don't know if you saw it, DJ, but I know Chris saw it. I did not. Not not a big Impractical Jokers guy. Yeah. Um, if if you were, the movie's a lot of fun. Um, if you're not, yeah, it's probably not going to introduce many new fans. But I thought it was a pretty cool. You know, if you're a fan of the guys, it was interesting to see. It's certainly playing to the base. I think oh, one yeah. thing I said yeah. as we were walking out, Sean, was it was a 90 minute episode of the show. Oh, yeah. Loosely held together. You had a thread going through it to be able to pull. That's kind of like what the Jackass movies yeah. were. They turned it into a roadshow movie that was essentially just a longer version of the show itself. So it works very well if you're a fan of. Yeah. And I, I apologize in advance to the Ant Hill that I'm not a big Impactful Jokers fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't anger the ants. No. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So since we brought up Reboot, segues into something special. So we actually. Um, were able to get uh, reboot star Keith Coogan on the Skype a little earlier. Nice. Um, so we're going to go ahead and uh, insert that now. And uh, when we come back from talking with Keith, we're going to go ahead and jump into anything else we missed in top three. I'd like to, um, before we play that interview, yep. which I missed, Sorry. I'd like to give a shout out to my loving and wonderful wife who put me in uh, timeout and prevented my participation participation she changed john's me... wi-fi password <laughs> <laughs> no no but uh but she let me out of she unplugged the car so i could <laughs> she unplugged <laughs> the car <laughs> it's uh it's not electric only yeah Boogie but Boogie. uh yeah but i'm looking forward to hearing what you guys talked about okay so on the and, phone uh, we have uh you know thanks friend, keith mr for, keith uh, coogan spending time with you two of, uh, bozos jay and Sonic so, uh, reboot fame and also adventures listen. in babysitting and fox and the hound and toy soldiers and all kinds of great movies. Keith, how's it going, boss? Oh, oh, this is the wrong interview entirely. I, I thought you guys were someone else. This is awful. <laughs> uh, I'm great, man. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a nice Saturday here in L.A., a lot colder than I thought should be. And uh, just chilling, happy to talk to you guys. What's up? Rock and roll. Excellent. It's um, It's 20 degrees here in Boston. Yeah, wow. You have, you have no complaints about the cold. <laughs> Is that in metric or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, we wish we were out there. Well, Chris was just out there yeah, about the a month ago. Yeah, a few weeks about ago. About LA is uh, that the people aren't necessarily, you know, it depends on who you meet, but sometimes the people are just awful. There's 16 million people in Southern California. But um, you just walk outside and you see the blue skies and, you know, 72 degrees. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's why I live in LA. Yeah, it, <laughs> exactly. it, it has worth, to help. Exactly. No question. 
Oh, he's sliding nope, the video. I just, I just slide, yeah. yeah, just slide. DJ wants on camera. I clip of your face. That's yeah, crazy. Just slide my giant bald head. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, so, good to talk to you guys. What, what have you been up to? Not much, man. We uh, we just you know do normal adult stuff. Go what? to work and get beat up in an office every day. I've been traveling around just to watch you on a big screen. That's true. Um, I'm bouncing around following Kevin on tour for the last four months. Yeah, I think yeah, you might October. have this. I think Chris has like the second most screenings of Reboot under his belt. Other than Jamie. Yeah. Most definitely. How many I, have you gone to? Um, uh, I think I, I got mean, it to 15. Uh, we had, yeah, I've popped in and out of movies when they were in theaters here or there, you know, opening night, that kind of thing, just to see how it's playing with different people. But that is a really good, like, sample size n equals you know 60 something or 15 or whatever uh so how were the different the different crowd reactions did you see somewhere you're like oh my god they didn't laugh or it's one thing that they always laugh at and that kind of stuff <laughs> it's fun to watch most of the time the reactions have been consistent i mean certainly some of the groups have been louder than others um certain areas of the country have the clan scene especially <laughs> is played differently depending on which part of the country you're watching that in oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Most certainly. Um, you couldn't hear it when you were in Florida, Tennessee, some of those places. Some of the Northeast, wow. um, not so much. It was muted <laughs> cheering. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was different. But you get, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. I saw it four times at road shows and five times in the theater. And you get the the same, a lot of the same pops. So uh, Meth and Red Man, does everyone just go crazy? Ben, everyone goes crazy. Ben, everyone goes ballistic. Um, Kevin's wife, Jen, gets a pretty big pop. Yeah, just about every time. Yeah, I mean, every, every time someone pops on the screen, someone gets a pop. So you yeah, get no, one, Jericho gets it, one, Bader gets one. Oh, exactly. Every it's, time they see somebody that they know, they go yeah, crazy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because right. it's almost like cam- the whole point of the movie, like people go basically just go cameo hunting. It's kind of like the fun like little game to play while you're watching it. Yeah, certainly. So since, since you brought the cameo thing, so how did, now the story, how you kind of got looped into the whole thing is pretty interesting because you're more than just a cameo. You as yourself is kind of like woven into the storyline of the movie a little bit. Uh, I guess as I, and I, I think, you know, Kevin did that as I asked to be in the movie and he's like, he, he's like, you're in, you're in, you're in. And he figured out a way to kind of get in. And he's like, thought I'd be a guest at Chronicon. And that um, there'd be a series, th- series, then they open a door and you just hear me on stage talking to a crowd going, dishes are done, man. That was going to be the gag. So when I showed up on set and it was, you know, the fishes thing, the the sweetest fish with Dietrich and everything, I'm like, this is a great scene. I had so much fun shooting it. And we're at lunch and I, um, I'd been wrapped before lunch. So like a vampire, you can't really eat lunch on a set unless you're invited. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, video assist. He goes, why don't you come eat lunch with us? I'm like, yeah, cool. So I sat and we're all hanging around. Brian's at our table and stuff. And the video assist guy, I can't remember his name. And I'm so I feel pathetic for it. He goes, um, yeah, it was great. You know, seeing you do the scene, especially considering how they set it up. And I'm like, what do you mean how they set it up? He's like, oh no, they quoted you, name checked you and everything. I'm like, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> it was nice to have those several beats. And then the, the, you know, and then the teaser, and the and the credits i love the credit sequence where everyone gets the slug under the footage all of that was a way i think for kevin to get all those bits he loved but might have speed bump the story the story is very streamlined and he had to really focus to get us there especially with um harley and jay um and it works every time i see that movie i'm like god they're so good in that and so emotional but 
by putting that stuff that he was like, I just can't throw that out, sticking it in the credits. He helps his runtime. He keeps that down and we get to see it all. It was great. It, uh, uh, that is, uh, and then to cap it off with Stan, you know, you almost forget as I'm, when I watch it and I'm watching all the cameos at the end and stuff and the bloopers and outtakes. And then that Stan scene. And just, I, I don't know every audience I've seen it with the Stan thing, really just wrecks everybody and yes i don't know gives you a great feeling leaving it the feeling of leaving that movie just like oh my god you want to see you right away again and and i think that the um seeing it with the crowd seeing it in the theater especially this kind of road show concert t-shirts kind of you know what i mean different way and having the filmmakers speak at it totally unique way to release a movie um i know he did that with red state but this had that, you know, it wasn't quite as genre movie as yeah. well. Kevin still is genre. I'll tell people. And I, <laughs> I know he encounters this all the time. They're like, we don't know who you are. I'll tell people oh, I'm in Jane. I'm in reboot. And they'll go, what? And I go, maybe they need the whole title. Jane Silent Bob reboot. And they go, what? Huh? <laughs> you know, Kevin Smith clerks chasing me. They go, nah, we don't, I don't know. And it just, and there are plenty of people that don't know who that was. Hell, I am. How can I curse on this? Uh, oh, yeah, no, no. We, oh, we do, we, we curse all the fucking time. Yeah, trust me, there's people who don't know who the fuck I am. <laughs> and um, so it's always funny. But then those that do, you know, it's something that there's a reason why, you know, people enjoy. Like, I love zombie movies and horror movies and stuff. And, and give me any military movie. Um, I'm all over it. My wife, not so much. She likes romantic comedies and Hallmark movies. And that's sweet. That's awesome. Um, but, uh, neither of us can, are really in the same room as we're watching each. I'll be watching a diehard movie over here and she'll be watching, you know, um, some Hallmark movie. Some goofy Christmas movie. And they call it narrow casting instead of broadcasting. Instead (laughs) of, you know, you're releasing Ghostbusters, which I think James Hannah Bob has an order of magnitude more laughs. Um, and you know, obviously that's a sci-fi horror action comedy, but uh, and huge, huge budget and all that other stuff. That had to be four quadrant and be released internationally all at once and a huge thing. Have a song and a video, Time magazine cover, all that stuff. Um, and yet, still, that might have been niche. Ghost, but the Ghostbusters thing—I don't didn't see it. I don't know. I'm not into it. You know, but I, I tour people around Sony and show them the Sony lot. And I'll go, here's the Ghostbusters car. And most, like, 50-year-olds will turn into 8-year-olds right in front of my eyes. Oh, my God! And they go nuts and take selfies and everything. Can I get in it? No, you cannot get in the car. Uh, and then some that I think are right in that target age range, and already all the other references are working on. I go, oh, it's the XO, Ecto-1. And they go, cool, where's the Breaking Bad van? So it's, it's, it's different for everybody. But I love the Jay and Silent Bob community. I love the Reboot community. It, it is fun. It is fun. Cause especially for us, like, you know, he's got, like I said, he's gone to a ton, but, um, you get a lot of the same people that bounce around from show to show and everything. And, you know, we have our little kind of click of Kevin fans anyway. Well, one of the fun things too, as I was going around to all of these different shows is seeing other people that have been, you know, cameo people in the movie, or you're seeing any of the background extras and people are showing up in their costumes that they wore as an extra at the con. Yeah. To then go the see part the part was that our the first night uh, the, they showed it. Well, Aparna was sitting right behind us, <laughs> and it was the one theater that Kevin came and spoke at it 
in Glendale. It was hysterical. Okay, or so Burbank. one so of the, the girl that I've been traveling around with to go see all these is Jamie White, who put together that showing. She was running the Legion M showing with her husband, Shannon. That was theirs at Burbank. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> it was hysterical. I'm going, I'm looking for my mom. She's getting popcorn. I'm like, I know it's about to start. And I'm like, they're waiting a long time. And I turn to Pinky and I go, is Kevin going to come here? Nah, that's impossible. So we're like, of all the theaters, it was playing all over LA. So I go out to the hall to wait for my mom. And I look, and there's Kevin walking right towards me. <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, I, uh, uh, I got my mom in. And, um, you know, I, I know, and it, and he didn't know a partner was there. And then at the at downtown, when we did the one downtown, uh, the last one before the break or whatever, um, at the Ace Theater at the Ace, um, tons of people were there. Marilyn was everywhere. It was so funny. And um, you can't know that when there's 1,600 people in the house. I was watching for you there. I couldn't find you. I talked to Marilyn late night. Yeah. She oh, yeah. was oh, there we, after we the were, show. We, we, we bought our tickets way in advance, and we got the cheap seats. Literally the farthest you could get. Um, <laughs> the back of the balcony, so the the concrete, the cement of the sure. back of the balcony was right behind it. We were, <laughs> but it was it was center. And to sit there over the theater at the A's and um, watch this crowd, there were some people that were overserved. Uh, that gentleman was, yeah, sitting right behind me off to the right a little bit. Clearly that must have been crazy. We were up in the back going, that guy, someone needs to put that guy down. Oh, this that, dude kept screaming. Yes, he told oh, me about it was that. awful. I, uh, I didn't have any of that. At my, I was worried because we went up to, um, my daughter was up in Maine in college and um, I was like, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to go meet Kevin. I'm going to take you to go meet Kevin. So she's like, oh, okay, whatever. I mean, to me, she watched all the movies. So she got caught up and, um, there, I was surprised because there was a couple of guys that were looked pretty loaded up, but no, no interruptions or whatever. But, but even, yeah, even she liked it, and that's not really her wheelhouse at all, you know. No, but, but um, the one thing about it is, even the number of times that I've seen it, I haven't gotten bored once. No, I mean, I know where all the beats are going to come. You can recite the thing by heart at this point. Yeah, pretty much. But the two hours and change still goes by incredibly quickly. Yeah, you're never once looking at your watch or any of that. Yeah, it's like seeing friends on screen. Yeah, exactly. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. And then, you know, yeah, where's the moment in the movie where you go, oh, oh God, it's kind of coming to an end. It's over red meth and red man scene, like right after that or bad um, when they pull up to the con, because when they pull up to uh, yeah, it's the coal uh, miners daughter shot when, yeah. when she sees the Hollywood sign. Yeah. When they pull up to the con, and everything, because then I know like all our cameos are starting to come and then all that stuff. And then the, plus, like right after when they get to the con, um, the shots I did were when they go up to the counter. And she, before she bounces Dan Fogler's head off the counter, um, yes. I'm right there. And then I'm in the hallway chase. But once they get there, I'm like, oh, okay. Because that was like the day I was leaving. Mm-hmm. When I went down to New Orleans, I was gone every after that day. So that's kind of like, oh, yeah. I don't know. Any, anything else that happens in the movie, I wasn't there for. So to me, that's like the end of it for me. Like, you know, I, Yeah. And pretty much everything that was after that. Was you and Once John. you get into the room, that's all the second to last day of filming. Yeah. That whole chunk of the movie took place in like an afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. That's with one of you guys right out of there. So. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. It's like we went down different days because like the the way it worked out was kind of sucked. But but we didn't even know. Like I I I was I think I was down there when you were down there, um, because I was in all those little like panel rooms and everything and all like the con stuff. And I didn't even know you were in the movie. So that's why like, when I actually saw the movie when the Fathom event happened, I was like, oh shit, hot damn! And then luckily, you know, then luckily you came up to Rhode Island for Comic Con and everything. That's right. And so that it all worked out great. So <laughs> yeah, I was the first up on one of the days of the con and they had had a late night the night before and no one had any sleep and 
no one's talking to each other. So I'm going through hair and makeup and there's Kev and Jay and get on set and we're getting mic'd. We're standing three feet from each other. Nobody's really talking <laughs> to each other. We understood they had a really late night. They've been working really hard. They're in the middle of this convention scene. Yeah. They're like, you know, every five minutes they're behind just barely. And then they make it up and then beyond. So it was just kind of Jordan was just like constantly uh, moving them forward. We got to move on. We got to keep doing this and, and banging out. And we got so much out of the, the several days of the week that was in that convention that they shot there. Um, the entire third act was shot. Yeah. In that yeah. amount of time. It's yeah. ridiculous. Well, just the one shot uh, I was in with, oh, I'm sorry, just the one shot I did with, with Dan Fogor, it was myself, Dan, Kevin, Jay, and the girls, and we were there till 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, you text me yeah, crazy. It was like morning, five and a half hours just to get that one shot down. So it was cool seeing that side of like the, the, the you know, that side of the movie world. I watched a ton of them all the time. Never been in one, obviously. So that was kind of weird to see like, oh, wow, it takes that long to get this 18 second clip done. Yeah, I told you, it was almost more fun for me sitting behind the monitors, yeah. watching some of it being made, just kind of seeing how the sausage gets put together here, Yeah, than it was actually being just sitting there in the room. Yeah. So, shooting ratios are a trip at how many angles directors decide for a scene. Directors that come out of TV are pretty, like, master, over the shoulder, over the shoulder, you know. They like, oh, we're going to do five set. They know when they're going in, they're going to cover it. The, as soon as the grips on electric see them set up the master shot, they know what they're doing for the next two hours. It's a routine. Everybody knows. Then you have incredibly creative directors that want to shoot Birdman. Um, <laughs> and then there's the middle ground, which was a very 80s aesthetic. It had tracking shots. It had cranes. It was very judiciously used to move the story along. It had push. It didn't overuse like a Scorsese or, you know, a Spielberg who great and sensational directors. Um, it, uh, 80s movies would still have these kinds of shots in them. And I noticed reboot did too. He would boom down with the camera. They were in their little, they're little things, but overall, as you watch, it's not just setting up on sticks and shooting. So it was a very, I thought it was very elaborate. There was a lot of moving parts, not only on the people, on the set dressing and the props and costumes and all that other stuff was ridiculous for the third act and shooting a road picture has its own challenge, but I guess they were, they made it look like a road picture still based out of New Orleans. It was all in New Orleans. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Unless you you spent a bunch of time down there, you you really can't pick up on the You have no clue. Yeah. Well, I did know this, the movie kind of goes, all right, we're driving. We're like. 10 miles away from New Orleans. I, I feel like we're 20 miles away. All right, we're in LA. It's just kind of <laughs> yeah, we got to Arizona very quickly. There's a lot of ground off. covered, man. There's a lot of ground covered. It's pretty funny. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's good. I, and I also love that feeling at the end where I just want it to keep going on. And Jay and Harley are having coffee. And it's like, oh, the movie's so over right now. But then all of the... Um, credits than the bloopers yeah yeah great the according to Kevin, there's hours and hours that are sitting on the cutting room floor that he just couldn't find a spot for yeah so i told i told him i want a snack tons pack of cut. content i want a snack pack cut with everything in it the four-hour version of yeah reboot. yeah with all the extended credits and everything and because we have to sit through the credits every time because a, a buddy of ours um steven griss he wrote the shecky don't like it song that they play during the credits. So we would, yeah. so, you know, for him, we always, I always yeah, sit through yeah. the song and everything. I'm there until the end. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, but it was, um, it was, it was a fun trip. I'm not going to lie. It was something I never thought I'd get to do ever in my life. No, I never anticipated getting the invite to go down and do any of this or yeah. be able to experience that. 
that side of the movie making process. Now, Keith, I know you had talked to Kevin and asked him that you told him you wanted to be in the movie. How was it? Were you friends beforehand? How did that connection take place? Um, I had gone to a screening of uh, The Shark is Still Working at Smod Castle. Had never met Kevin. Uh, was in the lobby, and he had a crowd around him three deep. He was, like, talking to people. And I saw him from about, you know, 25 feet across the room. And I just caught his eye for a second, and I got this. He, he was, like, talking to people, talking to people, and he goes, hey, little head nod. And I was like, oh, what? He just, I got a head nod. I was so excited about the head nod. So, cut to years later, and I'm with my wife, Pinky, and she's going to go down and get George Siegel because the Star Walk of Fame, and Kevin's going to speak there. So she's there and she goes, Oh, my husband was really excited. She got a head, you know, he got a head nod from you years ago. And, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Keith Coogan, whatever he was in that, and he, and Kevin goes, I know exactly who Keith Coogan is. <laughs> she goes, maybe you should, uh, maybe you should ask him to be in the movie at that point. And, uh, uh, so, and, and of course you got to like stay on it. It was very amorphous. Like they're just putting it together dates. They're doing pre-production. This is for, you know, something that's not in the script. So you're not really in the movie. And now I don't believe you're in the movie until you're standing on your mark, actually till your second paycheck clears, but that's all another story. Uh, you know, when you're on a set and you're doing, that's when you're on it, everything else is like, you know, you got to lock it up. So, um, it was just a while of trying to, you know, and I didn't have any way to get in touch with Kevin. It's like, well, what do I do? Talk to my agent. How do I do it? And she goes, just get him my, get, their production office, my, inf- you know, the agent's information and she'll make it work. I'm like, great. So she's on board. We're on board. I'm like, I don't know how to get, I don't know how production. How do you find it? You know, it's kind of secret or whatever. You don't want people crashing the production office. Um, they might be get stabbed by the hobos that lived in the hallways. No, it was, uh, <laughs> I, apparently the production office was in a rougher part of town and they didn't tell us that until after we'd visited it and like dropped off donuts and thanked everybody and everything. And later they were like, I was watching uh, Kevin talk about it going, yeah, our production office was in kind of a shady part of town. I'm like, you didn't tell us that. <laughs> uh, so uh, finally I'm on the Sony lot and I'm walking around and it's like, I'm after lunch and I'm walking up, having a smoke and I look up and I see um, ankles and calves and jorts sticking out of one of the stages. And I know that Kevin directs Goldbergs. So I'm like, and he stepped in again real quick. So I'm like, that couldn't have possibly get... He steps back again. I see it's 100% Kevin. This is post-heart attack. He's thin down, looking great. And, uh, you know, go up, say hi, give him a big hug. And uh, I explain to him, I don't know how to get with the thing in the agent in your production office. He just goes, give me your phone. He takes the phone, puts his number in there, and we made it work. There you go. That's amazing. That sounds and so okay. pushed and this. And then I happen to be doing a convention, an autograph convention in Pensacola, 200 miles from New Orleans, the day before shooting started. <laughs> so it all worked out awesome so awesome it's a cool story <laughs> and then um so he, apparently he edits really quick so i'm at lunch with the um uh video assist guy i want to say his name's chris but i could be wrong and he go he goes you know um i go I, what do you give kevin do you give him like slate to slate do you, to cut do you give him just prints and he goes i give him everything that was shot everything and he doesn't sleep and he stays up at night after shooting, cutting it together and then walks back on the set in the morning and he does that for 21 days straight. And I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away. I'm like, he had to have had some sleep, but you know, you take 
a lifetime to put together a project and then it comes together and then quickly and the money and the date and then you're on set doing it. And if that's the way he works, um, I was kind of blown away. I know editors that, or directors that kind of cut their own stuff, but um, writer, director, editor, talent as well in it. The best thing on set was to see him do a scene as Silent Bob. Cut. Come behind wardrobe would come and help him take off his wardrobe jacket and put on a very identical jacket. <laughs> they take off his hat that had the, the fake wig underneath, take off his hat and put on an identical, the hat. normal hat, yeah, the white hat, yeah, the on. normal hat. And then his, he does his purple jacket, his hat, and they'd put, um, headphones on him and he'd watch the take. And then you go, Oh, I like that one. That's good. All right. And I know what it, cause he, as he's watching a take, he's getting an idea. And he doesn't just stop at the script. That was amazing to watch him work. That's the beginning. That's a skeleton. As soon as you get actors out there and you get, look at the cameos, look at the courtroom scene. Ridiculous. None of that was on the page. So they start doing their thing. He starts encouraging them. He like sees something you like. He spins that a little harder. I like that. Lean that way. Talk about that more. He'll give them a line. And then all of a sudden he'll remember something, a callback in the movie and go, ooh, let's mirror or parallel another line. And um, just it was just amazing because he had me go at one point in the last take. He goes, just before you say the fishes or whatever goes, <clears throat> wait for it. And I didn't know that Matt Damon had to wait for it. So it was a callback, <laughs> something, but it wasn't because he hadn't shot Matt's yet. So he came up with the wait for it at the moment and then had Matt do it as a callback. But Matt goes and he knows these things like a puzzle piece. He knows his movies. He goes, I know exactly what minute in the movie this is going to be at, where the audience is, where they're going to squirm, when they're going to go to the bathroom, because he's watched a billion movies and made a billion movies. So it's really neat to see someone, you know, there was a, it was independently done. So there's no big, big, big studio sitting over there or, you know, completion bond company sitting there with a whip on the set. And to see someone grab so many hats and wear them so well and so quickly and do it so great and then he's gracious on set usually when you're wrapped on a set they go and that's a picture wrap you know on keith coogan or whatever and uh you know the crew gives a little applause then you go sign out change and you're off the set he goes hey i just want to say tells a story does a thing acknowledges something and then you know and that's a wrap or whatever and i'm like i've never seen oh and before every take they go He'll say something different to every actor to make him crack up, laugh, you know, get juiced up. You're a superstar. You're, or he'll say something. I'll go, I've never seen that before. Um, so he did a lot, a lot of things that were um, I'd never seen them done traditionally on sets. And God damn it, they need to be done on every set. Yeah, he would come in and hype up like the uh, like the holding room with a lot of like the background people and uh, the casting lady from down the Orleans. She's like, I've never seen that before at all and even like when we were filming he said you know he's in between takes same thing he takes off the switches hats or whatever um physically and literally uh and he's always you know he calls me over and we're talking he's like how's that working for you i'm like why it doesn't fucking matter what i think dude it's like you invited me down here to do this like i'm like you know bowing to your feet at this point in time it's like you can do whatever the hell you want i don't care it's like but yeah he um he's always like that anyway like we've met him a bunch of like chris more than me obviously um but he's always very much how are you how are things going yeah, it's always questions about the family or yep. any of that. Yeah, ask how the wife and kid are doing the, and stuff. And The one thing that kind of stuck with me as we were doing the filming is before every single take, kids, let's remember, we get to make make-believe for a living. Yeah. We live in fantasy land here. 
have some fun. Enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, have some fun. Do it just kind of just a little reminder as to, hey, don't take this shit too seriously. Yeah, he wasn't we like screaming to... for a latte or like, where's my damn water? No, no, no. Uh, we get to play with our friends here. Let's just go have a good time and do it. Yeah. Which is, yeah. yeah. And then, and then, but then sometimes the secret gets out of the tribe and, and you have millions of people in the general public buying Blu-rays in Walmart. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have talked to people that didn't see the road show, didn't see it when it was, you know, the first night that those two night release didn't uh, have never seen Kevin speak. And they're like, oh, I bought the Blu-ray or yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I, I, I always hope there's another level because, yes, it's a great nod to strike back and, to you know, fans of the whole universe. But um, I introduced my boss and she this is not her, her, um, a type of movie she'd go see. And she didn't, she was very excited to hear about how Tuesday night went when the, it, it hit that one night release. And she goes, Oh, oh, it's playing again Thursday. I'm like, yeah, it's a double feature with strike back. And so she went and having never seen Jane, silent Bob, anything. Oh, Jesus Christ. Sat through strike back and reboot just to watch my cameo. It was very sweet. That's nice. That's awesome. <laughs> and, you know, there's parts in Strike Back where she goes, I'm lost. I don't know what these references are. But it was nice to see Reboot calling back to Strike Back and she and seeing them back to back for her. Because I didn't. I didn't watch Strike Back since, like, even working on Reboot. That I should I should go do that. <laughs> I watch them all the time, so. <laughs> and it is. I mean, I mean, it's so the amount of Easter eggs, layers, repeats rewrites of lines re the whole, the amount of them and how fast they come it really never stops and then you still have a road picture and then you still have the daughter you know finding the daughter picture and then mm-hmm. all of them you just go rah, tat, 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 tat. layer after layer yeah like mean, an onion it, it was clearly... ogres are like onions don't get <laughs> <laughs> no it was clearly a movie made for kevin smith fans rebooting what was essentially a two-hour inside joke yeah. based off of the whole beginning of his career. So it's fascinating. It, I know your daughter's watched it. Yeah. I'm a horrible parent, so I've let my 11-year-old watch it. But she's been around Kev enough that she doesn't think anything yeah, of it. exactly. Um, I'm curious, DJ, what what was Athena's take on the movie? We didn't really talk about that after you saw it. I was, so, oh, yeah. So I've been she, on the road. She actually liked it. So I made her... Oh, I, she watched Clerks for like a project in school. They're doing like, you know... She had this list of like a hundred of like, you know, AFI movies. I'm like, you know, you're watching you watch some old black and white movie like Diary yeah. Van Frank or yeah. Clerks. <laughs> <laughs> like, you get to you pick can, one. You can watch her, like Clerks or Ben-Hur. Now you're watching yeah, Clerks. list, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, she actually liked it a lot. She, she, you know, she got into it and she likes all the cameo stuff too because she knows she loved all the Ben Affleck Batman jokes. Um, She liked that. Um, She liked the, you know, the Loki joke with, uh, I was Loki for it was cool in the 90s. <laughs> it's like that kind of stuff. Um. But you know it's cool, and it, it was it was nice too for me to be able to show you um, because she had been she's um, talked to her Pinky a couple of times via email, mm-hmm. just about some stuff. So that was nice. Um, which, by the way, your wife is the the shit, man. She really is. She's she's awesome. She's the sweetest. She's awesome. Oh, acknowledge. Hear that, baby? <laughs> shit. I think she's napping. I don't uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, no, she liked it. She did. the shit even when you're napping. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we. I think he went with me and was there on the set and um, experienced that whole day of the con stuff that they were doing. And uh, uh, very, very fun. It was the first, like, kind of... Because um, 
because th- that movie is independent as you call it. It was rolling thunder, all the trucks and the things and art department, and everything that you could possibly want. The scope was huge. And, um, oh, and the movie looks great too. It's just shot. Great. Looks great. So it was nice to be able to, I'd been on, she'd been on the set for with some low budget independent stuff and web series stuff and all that other stuff. But it was nice to bring her on and show her, you know, a video village kind of stuff. Yeah. Kevin movie, movie. sat her down, Kevin sat her down in a chair and, uh, she's sitting there watching along, you know, with them while I was shooting and was able to kind of like, you know, rat out or say like watching, she was watching Kevin giggle, watching the playback or whatever. And, uh, like I was shooting a, a close up with, uh, Diedrich or whatever. Yeah. And so Kevin and Jay are silent off on the side. So he's just behind video village watching us shoot our bit. And, uh, she said he was just cracking himself up. I don't know if he shot it as the biggest inside joke for this group. I think he shot it for him. It is a movie that he enjoys and, and thus by extension, everybody else would enjoy. Um, he's like, a he's like a curator for absolutely obscure and arcane references <laughs> <laughs> and, and that stoner culture. And, uh, to that, that he, I mean, self-admittedly wasn't, and then was, that just cracks me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That he wrote about it for years and had no basis for know, what he was yeah. writing. Thanks, Seth Rogen. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome. Well, so yeah, that was really cool. What, so yeah, we finished the movie and very soon after, um, Pinky, who was, you know, this is her, she still told me, ask him for the thing to be in it. It's all her idea because <laughs> she has absolutely no fear. And she's like, why not? Um, you mean, I'm like, Oh no, I can't talk to him. So after the thing, she goes, why don't you just text him and say, um, you know, thanks for the opportunity and being in it and had a great time and all that stuff. So I did. And he goes, he answers back. You want to see it? And I'm like, we just finished filming like a week ago. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, he's like, come over and watch it. And if we go over to his house and he hooked up his laptop that he's editing it on to the TV. Actually, he didn't. He said, Jay had to come over and hook it up. <laughs> he doesn't know how to do that shit. He goes, I know it's very off brand for both of us. Uh, and, uh, and we watched a temporary rough cut. And remember the movie had more effects shots than the original star Wars. So I saw it. None of those. Wow. The movie had more VFX shots than episode four, a new hope. I did not know that. That's crazy. That's what Every the majority of the post shot is yeah. is uh, an effect. He added so many fucking lens flares in the convention. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, <laughs> Every single one of the Abrams shot is an effect. And it's funny when I was watching the movie, the lens flares were done so well that I it felt like I was in a J.J. Abrams movie. But also, I thought they were done practically. That really cracks me up. <laughs> he had a really good cinematographer, and they took their time. Everyone had, I'd say. At least from the one I did, and I know they're trying to bang mine out quick so they could get to the rest of the convention stuff. He'd come in, kind of block it, figure it out, and literally everyone had 10 minutes. That's it. From set decoration, costumes, makeup, hair, um, the camera, lighting, all that stuff, sound, 10 minutes. If we didn't do it in 10 minutes, we didn't need it. And at 10 minutes, they were rolling. And I'm like, and sometimes quicker. And that to me was, he's like, here's what I want to do. And if he goes, I want some art back there or there, Dude, that was probably so great for him because I'm sure on clerks he had to crawl out from behind the sticks, go up, move the art, crawl back up behind the camera, 
here he had guys just immediately run out and boom, 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 arts up. And it was like, you know, I didn't know what the budget was when we were shooting it. And, um, there's always a couple of different budgets, uh, like the actual costs, some other overhead, this, that post, you know, releasing all that other stuff. So, um, I knew that he did have some resources, you know, yeah, lessons. Yeah, certainly. When I've shot movies with $300,000, the, the whole budget for a movie was $300,000 and it looks okay. You know, it was shot on 16 and then blown up to 35 and they look okay. They look like little art films. Um, but, uh, yeah, he had the, he had a nice, nice setup and great crew. I've never seen a crew all incredibly, um, just motivated and cracking and i'm sure they were exhausted by the time i got in the movie anyway go on <laughs> i think the uh, number he said was somewhere between 11 and 12 million was the final budget for the picture right after all was said and done i think they shot it for eight yep yeah after tax credits and all of that good stuff right 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 nice um uh, like adventure the babysitting when i was growing up i was under the impression it was a 12 million or 10 million dollar budget then the production manager on Facebook posted a below the line, above the line for all their work in Toronto that they pulled off for 4 million. We shot most of the movie in Toronto, two months. We did two weeks in Chicago Had a couple another, they shot adventures of babysitting for the same budget as Jay and silent Bob reboot about 8 million. I mean, yeah, all the posts and all that other stuff is different, but that just blows me away. Um, and uh, and then the release was something I'd never seen before either. Put the damn film in your trunk, take it around the country. Helps with the per screen average that you're charging forty bucks a pop instead of fifteen receipts. Take did, that Avengers. Oh, yeah, did you see that article oh, that, that just is dropped? Genius, huh? <laughs> did you see the article that just dropped? So you're in Which movie um, about the per screen average. There's only been three movies all time that have had more than four or more weekends of 60,000 or more per screen. And it's Star Wars, A New Hope, Blair Witch Project, and Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. So you're in rarefied air, sir. Wow. I noticed they stopped counting for a while on the numbers and Box Office Mojo. I'm like, you're not adding. You know, every week it's making another couple hundred grand. And like, it's making like, it's doing good money. And they weren't adding to the total. And like, I guess they considered the original run closed. Very weird. No, no. He's kind of cracked the code as to how to finance a movie. Yeah. You got to wonder if he's going to do that with like, you know, if you ever get um, for Quirks or him, something. For him, I know that um, Legion M and I wish him a lot of luck, but they don't have a high profile name or star attached to other products or it's, you know, and the other products aren't very genre specific and well targeted to that genre like um audience like Bloomhouse does with Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bloomhouse doesn't spend millions and millions of dollars in ads. They buy Facebook ads that for people that, that went to a theater and saw a horror movie in the last year or whatever. If they bought a DVD streamed or whatever a horror movie, they're like, that's who I want to target to. So they'll spend four hundred thousand dollars on ads instead of twenty million <laughs> and make all their money back on one weekend. Their budgets are two to three million for their, you know, a lot of their movies. And they rinse and repeat. So for Legion M, they better keep these budgets really low or love or have the equal type of star talent as Kevin Smith to be able to do that and carry a picture on the road like that for that model. I think it only works for him on that movie that time. 
because he's going to tweak it and he's learned something about it. So I, I, I'm very interested to see the other releases of Legion M. Of Re, of Legion M. Totally. There's um. Interested. There's one movie they did. They didn't do it like Roach's out, but they uh, they did like a weird kind of apocalyptic horrorish kind of movie called Mandy with Nicolas Cage. Um, that's yes. the first, that movie's batshit crazy. Good movie, Biome. Yeah, it's out there. Yeah. But it, it didn't do but successful like both reboot did. and reboot were not part of the new investment push when they when reboot was coming out. There were, it was for like a round three of investment, yeah. and mm-hmm. those investors are not going to get any back end on Mandy or anything that yeah. they produced prior. Um, you know, the single most successful film investment group in history was who's that? Silver Screen Partners Three. And they were behind all the Touchstone movies in the 80s and 90s. Oh, oh really? Kidding. Their model was a $10 million budget. One big star like a Richard Dreyfuss or a Bette Midler or a Lily Tomlin or something like that. We make $30 million at the box office. Maybe every once in a while we get a stakeout and it makes $100 million. Rinse and repeat. Make five a year. Boom. Jeffrey Katzenberg sat over it and they just turned out. And you know who was uh, one of the um, – who chaired the board of Silver Screen Partners 3? George Bush Jr. So he may not have been able to run an oil company in Texas, but damn, if he didn't, it was a 600% return on your investment. Jesus. That's amazing. You give him a million dollars, you would get 6 million back out of this fund. Um, No one's ever seen anything like that because look at every touchstone movie you think of. It's like starting with like splash and on. I love splash. um, Is moderately like, yeah, I do remember that. And I do remember the ads and I probably Mm -hmm. saw it. <laughs> then they tried Hollywood pictures for their R rated blue steel. Um, and, uh, Oh, in the army now was Hollywood pictures. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting. Like over at Sony, they have Columbia pictures. They have TriStar, they have stage six, they have black label media. And it depends on if it's foreign domestic, if it's subtitled, if it's genre, if it's a big star or not budget level, then they decide which company they're going to make lose money and they shove it on that books. <laughs> you think that riding in the car with rain or whatever, that movie made any money? No, it didn't make any money, well, but somehow, and I don't know, Netflix is full of debt, billions of dollars of debt. And years uh, and years away from ever potentially seeing a problem. We talk about it all the time. We talk about how um, Chris's, his, his favorite thing is on paper, return the Jedi never made a penny. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's always oh, it always throws me when you're seeing any of these articles come out as to what movies a huge success or a huge failure. Um, and the one argument, I mean, DJ saw the original box office. I mean, we go back and forth on some of the superhero movies and things like that. The Birds of Prey box office, oh, it only made thirty four million in the first weekend. It's a massive disappointment, but they made it for eighty four and a half. Yeah. But then what? A month before, you had Ford versus Ferrari roars to a thirty one million dollar opening. And people Huge blew success. it. And it cost way more than Birds of Prey to make. It's all in the perception. Well, also, we'll, we'll think of something like Weird Science, what it made like a hundred and something million. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, always when we think of these numbers, and I forget this all the time, the studio only gets half of that number because the theaters exactly. take half. So when you see, when you look very closely, most most movies do not make their money back on, they don't even cover their, their uh P&A spend, um, usually on the theatrical release, unless a movie plays for six months, which we don't do that anymore. Even no. Endgame was out of theaters in three weeks. I went, what the hell is – I've never seen an industry. I was so shocked when Spider-Man t- 
Tobey Maguire made a hundred million in one weekend. It was the first movie to do that. Mm. And I'm shocked. I was like, they're going to expect that now from every single blockbuster. And whoa, didn't that happen with the whole Marvel? Oh yeah. Star Wars. Thing? Um, but I think that there's, Oh, and I like the idea of, um, sliding ticket, um, prices, not just for time of day, but for level of budget level, you know, there, there could be maybe multiplexes could save a room for Legion M or save a room for another independent production company, you know, an independent studio and go ahead. And we have a thing in LA, um, arena cinema lounge and it is independent movies and they do red carpets and, you know, try to get press. These things go to Sundance and stuff like that. And, um, amazing little theater and it counts as a theatrical run if you're trying to go for an oscar or something like that oh cool so you book you book the book it out for a week mm-hmm. but it's a nice theater and you can eat and drink in it and all that other good stuff it's like a nice atmosphere and um the lounge kind of a thing and uh that and this this brought back that um reboot brought back that fun watching up and smoke in theaters or watching poltergeist i've never the uh, you know in poltergeist the crowd laughed and screamed raiders of the lark lost art they laughed they screamed um and i remember those kind of belly laughs of sitting in a theater with a thousand people and everyone laughing at you know it's not the ears it's the mileage um <laughs> and and then those 80s kind of what we think of is like fast-paced caddyshack type movies maybe airplane even you watch Airplane. I mean, Kevin Smith out gags Airplane even. Like in terms of, they said we need a laugh a page. Kevin does like two laughs per half a page. And just and then in between, he's just trying to figure out how to set up and get to the next laugh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, I'm very interested to see the future thing. And, and not just Legion M. I want to see the future of all of that kind of stuff. Because there's a big gap between being truly independent and no budget and non-union and no SAG actors. Like, as you could go, if you got a camera phone or decent enough little DLSR, you could go shoot a movie. Um, but to get it released, everything, like Kevin said, cost another $20 million, and uh, to get it released. So if you want to start working with SAG talent and you know stuff looks better and this and that, the bar, you have to then all of a sudden spend this to just deal with the insurances and the liability and the, and the, you know, the standards and practices and like have, you know, attorneys look over it, all that stuff. Um, there's a whole nother level. And that is the, the gap that needs to be closed. When we can kind of close that gap, then we'll truly get a democratization, you know, of like filmmaking in Hollywood. So, Oh, I have an active cameo request. Yes. yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love cameo. Cool. I make short little two minute short films and people pay me. That's great. <laughs> I did one of those for, uh, Cause I know people that spend $15,000 on a short film and they didn't make a damn dime off of it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I, I did a cameo for, um, when my brother was sick in the hospital before he passed away, we were very big, uh, mighty more from Power Ranger fans. So I did one with, uh, Jason David Frank from Power Rangers and he didn't even know what the hell a cameo thing was. So he was blown away, but it's a, it's a cool service. It is a really cool service. Yeah. So if anyone Andy Dick wants, is too expensive, but it's full service. Yeah. So if anyone wants to uh, <laughs> do a cameo shout out with Keith, you can find him on Cameo. <laughs> what else do we have? Um, what else do we have coming up? Anything uh, else coming up? Uh, 
cons or anything? Yeah, I've got the, we got a lot of autograph shows, conventions booked, like five this year, but um, coronavirus has already canceled one or postponed Miami. Uh, there's retro popcorn in Miami. They're pushing back the dates. So we still have Denver, um, Oklahoma City, uh, New Jersey Horror Con and Film uh, Festival, and uh, the Hollywood Show out in uh, L.A. Okay. Huh? Yeah, Oklahoma. Oklahoma City. Uh, Oklahoma. The, uh, and uh, the government are saying it's a health crisis. Um, I can see having an autograph convention isn't exactly the smartest move. Yeah, we got one up here, um, Ace Comic Con, Boston, and they have like Helmsworth and Evans and Hiddleston and you oh, and McGregor, and they're like, "You can come, you just can't shake hands or stand within two feet of them." It's and like, don't hand them anything. Don't and, hand them anything. Yeah. You know, you paid seven hundred dollars to to get their autograph or whatever. It's like interesting time we live in. But the uh, the New Jersey uh, one, that's like a uh, a little mini Don't Tell Mom reunion, right? We are. We've got Danielle Harris, who uh, was Melissa. You know, I helped her with her fastball. Uh, and we've got uh, Joanna Cassidy as a uh, nice boss lady, uh, as uh, as Rose Lindsay, who, you know, I'm right on top of that Rose. Um, who she, you know, and it, uh, I was reading an article or an interview with Joanna Cassidy, and um, they asked her what she gets recognized from and if she gets recognized from. And she says, yes, Blade Runner and, you know, Under Fire or this or that. She go, uh, uh, Roger Rabbit, but she'll go, oh, five times a day is I'm right on top of that, Rose. And she goes, she gets recognized from Don't Tell Mom more than any movie. She's kind of leaned into it. I love it. She, you know, her laugh, by the way, in Don't Tell Mom, The Babysitter's Dead. That's Joanna Cassidy's real laugh. Oh, is it? And I really love it when actors bring, like, you go, is that a character? Is that an affectation? Is that a thing? And like, no, that's something that most people would try to hide and not put on film, and she used it for her character. <laughs> She's so great. I love Joanna. So uh, the three of us, so two of the, the Crandall kids and Sue Ellen's boss, we will, Joanna Cassidy and uh, Daniel Harris and Keith Coogan will be the, uh, now I sneaked into the horror convention because of Danielle, um, but also because I did a Tales from the Crypt, so that counts. Mm. Oh, yes. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And Python. Python. Oh yes, Python. Yes, Python. Python. Billy Zapka and Will Wheaton. Yeah, that was. There you go. That was fantastic. Um, I need to do more horror conventions because horror people, just like um, viewers, universe people, are very fetishistic. They buy every single toy, every single doll, every single pop vinyl, every DVD, Blu-ray, every version. They stream no it. They buy it. They recommend it. They share it. Horror fans have a lot in common with the reboot. Um, reboot crowd it is a very similar kind of dynamic and there's an overlap there's an overlap oh, definitely, definitely. Certainly. big time oh, yeah most certainly no yeah. i've never stayed up at night and watched like 28 days later high no never of course there you have of course you have <laughs> that'd be fucking terrifying i wouldn't even attempt to do that <laughs> yeah you don't watch horror movies in the dark you definitely you're can't do zombies i dj don't do zombies not uh, i can't watch walking dead in the middle of the day with the lights on and a loaded ar next to me just too much <laughs> just too much awesome well, Keith, sir, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate we it. We appreciate you taking the time, man. This was been awesome. This is great talking to awesome. you guys. Yeah, and, and uh, congratulations on your the the movie and being yeah. in it. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. IMDb credit. It was nice. <laughs> yeah, we've got an IMDb credit. Yeah. So funny. I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and you know, Jordan was like, you "Can't nobody can take pictures on the set. You can't, you know." talk about anything casting or costumes or anything i'm like looking at the call sheet i'm like val kilmer and ben affleck are like flying in the day i'm leaving yeah but i can't tell anybody this and uh, it just killed me then all of a sudden oh it wasn't ben 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> Who was it? Oh, it was Val and Tommy Chong. My oh, wife will correct me when I get little <laughs> details of stories wrong. She makes sure that I pull that memory file right. Thank you, babe. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. That hadn't happened yet. Sorry, the Ben thing hadn't gone down yet. That yeah. was amazing. That happened. That was. Well, the, th- the thing with NDAs for Ken movie is you can't NDA it because he's going to disclose everything on his own. <laughs> yeah, you have to sign and he's just right. going to put it so on Twitter. He, did, he went to go see a... Um, um, uh, What's the the Kevin Smith? What's the with Ralph Garman? Um, oh, Babylon. Babylon. We go to Babylon, and he spills the beans right to everybody. Yeah. I'm like, I guess, I guess the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. Um, but I still didn't want to, you know, say too much or whatever thing. So I'm watching on IMDb as this thing is just filling up with like Bart Simpson, Silent Bob, freaking oh, yeah. Spawn, Silent Bob. <laughs> like all of a sudden, I'm seeing all of the background artists, and then, but I'm also seeing anytime that Kevin started mentioning somebody's in the movie it would show up on imdb the next day yeah so i'm like cool 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 so i wait after we do the, the podcast and uh and then i wait and i wait no one puts it on, on on imdb and then kevin was doing an interview and they were talking about the cameos that and he announced like 38 cameos already and he goes oh no i've got like 56 cameos and i want to save some for when the movie comes out so i'm like maybe maybe i don't know i don't know but um so it need to be part of that. And it's a surprise because I'm not established in the viewersk universe. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Maybe a movie that those characters had watched or even just known about is because of the commercials and stuff like that. I'm sure Brody had a crush on Christina Applegate, like any red blooded American. Right. Of no doubt. So it was just weird that like to pull in that, which exists in the real world. And there's plenty of, things in clerks star wars exists in the real world and they talk about star wars mm-hmm. so here i am pulled into this universe in this weird way um i you know it was, it was amazing total dream come true loved it it was uh shor- shortest day on the set you know it was a normal time but i wanted to just you know i wanted to i wanted to work on it for a while and work with kevin and really soak it in it went it went like that it went lightning fast when i was on set it was one of the coolest things I ever did in my life, at least. Oh, certainly. Yeah, and it yeah, came that's at a, a bucket list. It was good. I mean, for me, it came at a bad time too, so it was kind of like a, a little highlight and like a sea of shit that hit me. So it was nice to. It, it was a good trip, definitely a good trip. So, well, thank you again, sir. And um, next time we can get out to Cali, definitely have to hit you and the wife up, go do dinner or something, maybe. Swing by the Sweet. Sony. Yeah, definitely swing by the Sony lot. Check out that Ecto One. I didn't know you had that. I will cry if I see. DJ's that. gonna stalk you now. That's no, like, no, no. Yeah, we've got, we've got Ivan <laughs> Reitman's office on the lot, and he'll usually park it out in front of his office. Oh, and, you're uh, kidding me. It's not a reproduction. This is this is the actual Ecto. It's pretty cool. I they love that. I'm a big That's like your religion. Yeah. I know. I'm a big Ghostbusters guy. So They got a prop and costume museum, which have got um, a trap from two and answer the call. The oil painting from the end of two, which is the the scariest painting I've ever seen. Oh, with the uh, um, the, 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 the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah that um, one. <laughs> got, we've got the Vigo painting. You got to see the Vigo painting, oh. um, and some proton packs. You know, it's got the flashy, flashy thing from Men in Black and the Seinfeld set. The Neuralizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. We put the someone put the pat. A sleeping pod from passengers in the center of the room and oddly nobody walks up and goes oh my god it's one of the pods from passengers 
<laughs> next to a freaking proton pack. It's like, right, yeah, no exactly. shit. But they do lose their shit over the Seinfeld set and uh, and costumes and stuff like yeah. that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, you uh, can come out to Sony. I'll show you around. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. definitely we'll, we'll make that trip. That. Yeah. And I'm always down to hit a mouse day, too. So it's, I, there's ways to work things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, mouse all the time. All the time. Have to make that. Uh, I got to ride, ride of re- resistance. Oh, it's so good. It's amazing. It's so good, oh my isn't God. it? It's the greatest ride ever made. It you don't is. even need to be start with fan because there's like evil man in black clothes with the red thingy and then no good people. You don't even need to know the story of Star Wars to enjoy the ride. No, it's, it's literally it's a marvel. It's a marvel to experience the scope of that ride. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for just the scale. And no, Smuggler's Run worked the first like two times I wrote it. I felt like I was in a damn tin can shot through a canyon of you know lasers firing yeah. at me. After a while, I was like, okay, yeah, it's it's, it's I love Smuggler's Run. But I always single ride, so I'm always an engineer. <laughs> and Rise of Resistance is 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 crazy good. It's being it's picked immersive. up and dropped into a Star Wars movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, We're actually oh, gonna- I hear the Spider Man. Spider Man is coming out. And now- oh, so you guys are getting Marvel out there? Yeah, we're getting They're Marvel on the Marvel right. land. Oh, maybe we can what lands and where. Hmm. Maybe we can. Maybe we can make. Maybe, maybe we can make it a day. We'll go hit some Marvel stuff. Take Keith and Pinky out to dinner. Could be fun. Could be a fun I'm day. I'm always down for a Disney <laughs> day. Awesome. Like, awesome. Well, this is not a flattering angle of me. As I try to That's okay. No <laughs> they can't see all you right. anyway. Well, We're listen, all on. Thank you guys, man. Have a good, uh, good one. And uh, yeah, come on out to LA. We'll make it happen. Definitely. Thank Sounds you, sir. Good. Appreciate thank you taking the time. Rock and roll. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. Keith, man. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. So, anything else you guys want to get into before we get into top three? Um, well, uh, I'm sure there's stuff to talk about. I'm used to actually seeing your faces and being inspired to call up bullshit from my mind. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, no, let's go ahead and hit, hit top three, and uh, I'm sure we'll have some stuff. It's hard to come on. up with topics that are not corona-related right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the. It seems to be the predominant topic with festivals being canceled and all of that going on. Um, heard Keith just allude to he's already had a cancellation on his schedule, yeah, or like a pushback. It's not a canceled. pushback. It's yeah. yeah, things are being moved to the summer. Emerald City Con, same thing. They're trying to find summer dates to move that all that. Huge. To. When you have people like Jim Lee and Scotty Young and all these big creators saying no. Can't take the chance. We get kids at home. Yeah, it's interesting too because you know with Emerald City pushing off, and we don't like we have um, in theory we have uh, Ace Comic Con Boston in a couple weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Um, and when you have, you know, obviously no one knows what's going to happen with San Diego coming up, but like a show like say Fan Expo Boston, that's only really announced two guests. If they had anyone in common with any other conventions, it might fuck them so bad. The scheduling for the late, it's later parts a, of the year. Yeah. Summer cons this summer is going to be a shit show. This next week is going to be interesting seeing having the South by Southwest news drop on a Friday afternoon yeah. the way it did. Yeah. You didn't have other people didn't have a chance to react to that. Once you get into that Monday news cycle, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the trickle down effect from that because that's DJ and I were talking a little bit off the air before Sean. That's a they're estimating four hundred million dollar impact by having that yeah. festival canceled. We going to like uh, well they just so. I don't know if I can talk about this or not, but whatever, fuck it. Um, actually, no, it's, it's public knowledge. He's breaking news. So I, I work in healthcare IT, 
And someone had the brilliant idea, it was actually a good one, that maybe um, if you're going to hold hymns this week in Orlando, it's probably not mm. best to put all of the some of the best healthcare IT professionals in the country during a possible pandemic. So they canceled hymns for the first time ever. So if you're so going to Disney hymns? World this what week, is um, health health information something, something management, management yeah. systems conference. Health information and medical management systems. Some, yeah, maybe? something like that. Something See, like that's that. why like we that. have you. You're so smart. Shut so smart. I can I can I can backronym things all day. There we go. Um, back to acronym. I like that backronym. Yes, exactly. Back, back yeah. um, so if you're going down to Disney this week, it's a good week because there's about a hundred thousand less people going to be in Central Florida. Yeah, you're gonna have the place to yourself. There you go. Yeah. Unless you want to go and ride everything. There you go. You can like every park bench you want. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, honestly, the you you said kind of what my biggest fear is, right? I mean, you know, it's it's not so much the individual health, though obviously, you know, some people are at risk and, you know, can die just like they do from the flu and other things. Yep. But the the economic impact of the unknowns and kind of the fear spinning up and everything that's, that's very real and can have a pretty significant effect on, you know, the coming months and potentially years. And that's got me a little, little concerned. I'll be happier once I see, you know, the, the climbing infection numbers outside of China, China, uh, you know, kind of plateau off and start to drop. Yeah. Um, then I'll, then I'll be relieved and, uh, start investing more. Um, yeah, we got to get through the testing phase in the states first to see exactly yeah. where that's going to shake out. I mean, you just you have no idea just because there haven't been testing. Yeah, you know, nearly enough. And they're like people are freaking. I think there's like not that we're you know we're not experts in CDC stuff or anything like that, but on the news there was like 11 deaths and people are freaking out. But it's like from what I understand, like almost all of them, unfortunately, it seemed to have gotten into a nursing home in Washington yeah. State and just ran through a nursing home. Yeah, so you're starting to see a handful in other states. Or a little weaker um, in the respiratory system than some of yeah. those. When I think that's the yeah. biggest risk where so many carriers are out there that you don't know about and the vast majority of yeah. us would get a cold. Oh, yeah. 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 It's when we come in contact with parents and grandparents and- Exactly. And, you know, they just can't quantify that just yet. So. Yeah. I mean, luckily for the three of us, you guys, I'm the one that has to worry probably more than you two. <laughs> I, got the, I got the bad asthma problem, but- Yeah, but we, we travel more. But that's uh, yeah, it probably balances out. I feel safer if I were able to travel around in a high tech Batmobile. Ooh. <laughs> Hashtag segue. Hashtag so, segue. With the uh release of the uh the Pattinson Mobile. Let's go your top three favorite Batmobiles. This isn't can be from any any of the Batman branches, okay. we'll say. Okay. Yeah, so so obviously there's a a very rich, you know, uh, available palette of, of Batmobiles. Yeah. There's actually um, a shit ton. So yeah, there's a shit ton, you know, across comic and, and, uh, media and movies and everything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I had a few honorable mentions. One, I will throw the, the Rob Pattinson, the Batman Batmobile out there okay. as an honorable mention, just cause I, I do think it kind of sticks out. Um, in, in the Batmobiles that come to mind as, as a new take that doesn't suck. And if it's in a movie that, that kind of grounds it, it could be pretty nice. Um, the other couple I wanted to throw out the night, the 1941 Batmobile, the hmm. huge back fin with the bat face, kind of Batman face on the front grill still, you know, the, the 
they were these big, huge teardrop fenders and kind of that gorgeous forties, you know, curve of the overall sedan, the, or coupe, I guess. But, uh, but I like that one. And then the last one is actually prime 1987 Jason Todd stealing the wheel off of the, mm. the, mm. the kind of Lamborghini Countach looking, uh, Batmobile. Um, those are the ones that kind of, I love them. They don't count as my favorites, but, uh, but they're up there for me. Nice. Chris, any honorable mentions? Um, I got two honorable mentions. One, the 89 Keaton Batmobile. Okay. Um, that's always going to make the list just for that was the first big screen Batman. I mean, it's going back to the childhood and waiting so long for that. So they could have put him in a clown car and that was going to (laughs) make, that was going to make my list because I'd waited for it for so long. He's in a Dodge Dart. I'm also going to throw the Pattinson Batmobile in there um, for slightly different reasons than Sean. That, the styling of this Batmobile comes direct, in my mind, the first thing I thought of when I saw it was two particular artists that I've seen do similar things with it. Sean Gordon Murphy has done Batmobiles very much in that realistic car style, which I've always loved that take on it. And Francesco uh, Francavilla. I believe is how you pronounce it. Frank Avila, yeah. Yeah, yeah Frank Avila. He had Frank a Avila. run of like 1970s Batman. He did a whole print series of Batman through the decades with the various cars that he would have in each one. And it was like a Rolls Royce in one. But there's a 72 that is that American muscle car Batmobile. And that's the first thing I thought of was going back to that print. Batman with a lower profile ears standing next to the muscle car. It was very similar. I mean, obviously they've tricked out the back end of this one, but it clearly has that muscle car feel to it. Yeah. Nice. How about uh, you, DJ? I also had the A9 Batmobile just for the same reasons. Like, oh my God, it's, it's the, there's the Batmobile. Batmobile. And also um, I'm going to go with the Super Friends Batmobile mm. just because I have such fond memories of playing with the toy for it, the superpowers one. Yep. Yeah, with, even completely forgot about the Super Friends. Yeah, that was, that was a good one, so. Excellent. Sean, what do you get for number three? Uh, So round number three kind of surprised me as I went through it, but uh, the uh, Batman versus Superman uh, Batfleck Batmobile, the the gray kind of hulking, almost off-roady looking, uh, you know, uh, I I don't know how better, you know, better describe it. Um, But, but I just found possibly because of my love for the casting and the rev, the revealing of the Batfleck suit along with that Batmobile kind of early on, um, just kind of anchors for me. Um, you know, it's a, it's a modern take that felt, felt pretty good to me. So that, you know, the Batman V Superman growler. Excellent. Excellent. Um, for my number three, I'm going, I'm going to lean much into that 89 Batman vein. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going back to the first, uh, not the first, but I think the best depiction of Batman in cartoons and in animation. Mm-hmm. And I'm going with the animated series Batmobile. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's for many of the same reasons we had the 89. That's hit me right at the start of college. The first true, I mean, I love the super friends. I mean, Paula Justice is sitting on the shelf over there, for God's sakes. Um, but this is the first time they took a serious take on the Batman character in an ongoing animated series. And I just love yeah. that concept of the elongated Batman. It played in that world so well with that imagery. 
So I'm going animated series. Nice. So I also went with a cartoon Batmobile for number three, but I went with the Batmobile from The Batman. Mm. So anime series had like your almost like a Rolls Royce Phantom kind of yeah, shape to it. Yeah, your longer nose. And they kind of kept that for the Batman, but they went a little more, um, a little more towards that shape with what you got like with the Affleck Batmobile. A little meaner. Looked a little bit more. Uh, the Batmobile anime series was gorgeous, but it looked just like a really nice, expensive car. This one looked yeah. a little more Batmobile to me. Um, yeah, that's like a cartoon. Athena got into it a lot too. It was actually a good show. People bitch because they they changed Joker and made him different and everything but it was actually it wasn't I, bad i didn't find an appreciation for it until later yeah. because it wasn't my animated series batman oh, of course I, it, of course not it took me a little I while to get into it i don't know if i ever saw that one it actually. was really good it's you'll enjoy the show yeah you will it was a good it's, show that's when they started doing penguin like a he penguin could fight and stuff like that and but yeah but that batmobile it had a that bat um that amy series look just with a little more like functional like mean car to it so I'm going yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, so, uh, was that that was your number three? Yes, number three. We're on two. So my number two's already, you know, been mentioned. But for me, the '89 Batmobile is definitely up there. Um, partly because, you know, it was one of the first first times in decades that a real instantiation of a Batmobile had come into being right outside the comics, outside of uh, animated series. And while it was definitely fantastical, I mean, it did not look like a practical vehicle. It still, it still really rocked and, you know, fit within the, the marketing and, and the hype around that movie pre-internet. We've discussed it a million times. Um, but it's tough not to love that you know, sleek beast with its side guns and whoa, 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 wait, and wait. Batman uses cockpit. guns. Batman don't shoot people. <laughs> Leave it at bombs too. No, I'm sorry. Batman doesn't people. Batman's guns kill people. No, no that's it's horrible. I, I screwed that up, but you get the point. Batman doesn't yeah, so. people. No, Batman doesn't people. <laughs> Which is a good thing because otherwise Jen would hate him. <laughs> Excellent tag, sir. Yeah. 89 Batman, number two. Jen, can, can Sean come out of timeout now, please? <laughs> we miss him. All right, all right. DJ, it looked like he was ready to say something, but it'll let it go. Um, my number two has already been mentioned as well. Mine is the Batfleck Batmobile. Tag up. Mine is nice. also the Batfleck Batmobile. It's <laughs> And it's probably for many of the same reasons that you said, Sean. I love the casting. It's, he's still my favorite cinematic Batman. Mm-hmm. I think he embodied the character the best. And it was seeing that image of him in costume standing next to the Batmobile. And it it kind of played into a couple of different things. You had a Tumblr aspect to it. You had, it kind of played more into the video game aspects of it. The car looked mean as fuck. It did. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing. It looked like what a rich guy would build if he was trying to build a battle cruiser. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the side guns, the whole thing. Looks a little, almost a little like X-Wing fighter kind of too. Had mm-hmm. that pull for The me. shots of him like blowing through the ship as he's coming through the, I mean the whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that with the Bat, like, Batmobile also, like I, fuck the tumbler, I hate that thing, but. Um, it served a purpose. It turns it into a motorcycle. That's true. Yeah, oh. it shoots a motorcycle out of it. It, um, <laughs> it um, in, you know, the two movies we saw it in, um, BVS and Justice League, car was super functional. 
He uses the car a yes. lot in those two movies. Yeah, he uses yeah. it as a tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, it, it did some cool stuff. Like, it went one-on-one with Superman whoa, until whoa, it got ripped to pieces. Are you trying to say that Zach actually thought this out before designing the car? Snyder cut. Snyder cut. So, um, before we before we jump into number one, which is probably going to be universal, suspicion we're all the exact same car. So probably. On the count so of, I have a I have a tweak. Uh, but okay, go ahead. On go the ahead. count of three, everyone say your number one Batmobile. One, two, three, sixty-six, 66. Batmobile. Sixty-six Batmobile. Yes. Yeah. No question. Um, but I realized when I when I thought about it that kind of for me anchored with it, and you already mentioned it, TJ, is the Super Friends Batmobile, yeah. right? The that the dual clear cockpit, the the open, you know, the open cockpit with the the window uh, with the the bulbs, the open bulb windows. Um, but yes. How can you not? I mean that that defined it for us as kids, or at least it did for me. Nope, same. I saw, no, certainly, yeah, yeah. I, I was both watching Batman sixty six reruns and Super Friends every every weekend, and so they were kind of just one was the real one, one was the the blue, you know, uh, simpler animated one, but they both anchored Batman for me and the Batmobile. Um, so I'm not surprised you guys uh, smartly agree there. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you approve. I mean, yeah, <laughs> smartly. <laughs> um, it's for me. It's not even my favorite Batmobile. It's my favorite possibly cinematic car ever. Yeah. Like if I ever hit the lottery and I could buy one thing, I'd buy a. It's a Yeah. Replica. Yeah. It's like better than any of the James Bond it's, cars. Anything. I can't buy a Millennium Falcon. So I would buy a Batmobile. The one thing that watching comic book fan I would have geeked out over. Oh yeah. Not the car. Yeah. To have the Batmobile yeah. pull up. When it's at the shows, I'd sit That's there and just, the just drool over it. Like, it's just, I love it. Even the replicas are just, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it brings you back to the time when you were a kid. Like you said, it's, I like to, like, I think Chris said it before. I like to look at stuff that makes me happy. And that car just makes me five years old again. Yeah, exactly. Makes me kind happy. Of the, yes. Kind of the goal of life. Surround yourself with things that make you happy. I like Batman. <laughs> Excellent. Which is shocking why you never leave the house, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he has spreadsheets at home. Shall I still get spreadsheets? He he does. I, he does. I I do. I don't have a giant uh, wide curved monitor for spreadsheets, though. Unlike mm. one of us, I'm tempted. I'm tempted. It is well worth you working in that purchase. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm no, trying. To, I'm trying to get one for my land when they, when they buy our work from home setups. I want one for my house. So it just makes it so much easier to have multiple monitors. Or yeah, I don't do as much spreadsheet work as you do, but for VMware and stuff, it'd be nice. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so um, DJ didn't write nothing down. So Sean, what was cap 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 it back? <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Uh, so I had the Batman versus Superman slash Justice League Batmobile, the '89 uh, Keaton Batmobile. And then Batman 66 slash Super Friends 73 Batmobiles. Mr. Davis? Oh, I like that he tagged up the year for the Super Friends, too. Look at that. That was nice. Uh, the three spot, I want the animated series Batmobile, two, the Batfleck BVS Justice League Batmobile, and in the one spot, same as Sean, the 1966 Batman. And almost identical to Chris's list, I had the uh, the Batmobile from the Batman animated series. Not Batman the series, but the Batman. Uh, the the ba- Batman. The Batman. The. The, the Batman. Um, 
I had the Batfleck Mobile number two mm. and Adam West 66 Batman Batmobile at number one. Nice. Excellent. That was fun. So once again, I'd like to uh, thank the uh, our special guest today, the Dunner of Dishes, Mr. Keith Coogan. Thank you for calling in, Keith. Big shout Appreciate out to it. Keith. Yep. Thank you for taking the Thanks, time. Thanks, Keith. Yep. And uh, thank you for uh, to um, Mrs. Hogarty for letting Sean come out and play on the Skype for about half an Sean, hour. Sean, you can leave the closet now. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can go rejoin your family. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> He's chained um, up I, like Carrie always and saw to the yeah. freaking radiator in the basement. It puts the lotion I, in I, the basket. Yeah, it's not as it's not as fun talking to you guys uh, remotely, but no. uh, but I'm glad I was able to at least uh, get one degree of separation away from uh, from Keith and the interview, and uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to meet him one of these days. But uh, but uh, thanks for having me on, gentlemen. No problem. And at least now we know this works. So in a pinch, if we need to do something, this actually can does not sound it. bad at all. No, I'll be the judge of that. That's true. Sean's highly trained audiophonic ears. Be like, this sucks. Anyway, so thank you again, everyone. Um, feel free to follow us on Twitter at FMan37. Um, subscribe to us on YouTube now, Fanman Podcast on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, iHeart, Stitcher, anywhere like that. Are you going to be doing live video blogs from the closet, Sean? Ooh, there we go. <laughs> Just hiding <laughs> in the dark, a little backlit. I'm taking a trip. Thanks, everyone. You gentle, Jen. See ya. <laughs> Have a good one.